Good morning, everyone. We're glad you're here with us on Memorial Day weekend. That's always an exciting to see people, um, although I guess we'd probably wish we were on vacation somewhere, but that's okay. We can be here together and enjoy uh, our weekend together here at K-First and in church with our family together, our church family. And uh, if you don't know me, my name is Pastor Kevin. I oversee spiritual formation here at K-First. And what that means, if you are ever interested in joining a table or starting a table or joining a training or being a part of a team, I'm probably the person that's going to reach out and say, hey, here's your next steps in pursuing those things. And so if you ever have any questions about any of those things, um, feel free to come and find me. I'd love to answer those questions, have conversations about them. But this morning, I'm here to share our message this morning. And we're going to close out our series called First Things First. Hard to hear. I'll try the mic a little bit longer, and then if it's not waving to me, I'll switch to the mic. Maybe it's me. All right, well, the past couple of weeks, uh, we've been examining the topic of generosity and what it means to give as a follower of Christ. And today, we're going to conclude with the topic of sacrificial giving. And this is anything that is associated with our time, our talents, and our money. And in the context of money, I want to be very clear. Sacrificial giving essentially means anything that goes above and beyond our tithe, or what we would consider to be our consistent or planned giving. And this topic, it's a sensitive one because, let's face it, money can be a hard thing to come by. Even if you have it, you never know when you might need it, or you might not know when you lose it. My wife and I, we just bought our very first house, And um, I think we do a pretty good job all in all with budgeting and using our money wisely. But when I look at my mortgage, it does make me want to hold my wallet pretty tight. Anyone here agree with me on that? And this topic is also tricky because in our culture, a measure of success is seen in our financial wealth. Let me give you a few examples. We idolize those who are rich. We put people into positions of power based on their wealth. We compare what we have to our neighbors and our coworkers. We view how well we love and care for our family based on how much we can provide. We hold our money close and we're careful to let it go. And let's be honest, though, at the same time, that's not necessarily a bad thing, right? We should use our money wisely. We should be careful with how we spend it. However, our consumerist culture tells us to hold our money so dear that it makes it difficult to give of what we have when a friend is in need and they're having an emergency and they could use a little help. Or maybe we come across a nonprofit organization that is near and dear to our hearts and we wonder, should I really give to that even though I really care about it? If I had to guess this morning, there probably isn't one person in this room who doesn't wish that they had or made a little bit more money. Am I wrong about that? I include myself in that, and not just because I would love to upgrade for my 2011 Ford Fusion, that'd be kind of nice, but I think about all the good things I could do if I just had a little bit more money, right? I think about, just fantasize with me for a moment, just, just that the idea of miraculously walking to your mailbox and finding that envelope full of a million dollars. I mean, think of all the good we could do with that, right? I'm not alone in that, in that idea. If there's any billionaires watching, my address is five, six. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) I won't tell you my address. But I bring this all up because these are all thoughts that can run through our minds when I simply say the word sacrificial giving. But here's the truth. 
When we look at the biblical view on sacrificial giving, it's never accompanied with fear, regret, or guilt. But a greater sense of joy, contentment, and connection with Christ. So this morning, I want to untangle some of the misconceptions and address some of the baggage that we can often find associated with the topic of sacrificial giving, especially in relation to the church. Because let me tell you, K-First is a church that doesn't exist to make money, but to make disciples. But at the same time, we need money to do that, to, to do what we do here at K-First. We rely on money to make disciples, to have services, to make things happen. Money is a tool that we use to do that, but our focus is on Christ. Our focus is on discipleship. So we want to steward what we have wisely and in accordance with what we see in Scripture and also what is wise by just the financial standards of our day. And so we're going we're to address this topic and dive into it and see what Scripture has for us. And so I want to invite you to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 8 in your Bibles. Do I sound okay before I get into reading things? In Corinthians chapter 8, we see the Apostle Paul, and he's basically talking to the Corinthian church about this exact issue. Now, as you guys turn there, I want to give you a quick look behind the scenes to kind of show you what's going on, because this is a longer chapter. We can't read all of it together. So let me just give you a little insight into what's happening. So as you probably know, Paul has been traveling and helping to plant new churches all across his region. And he continues to stay in touch with the churches that he helps get started, that he plants. He almost serves as like a spiritual father from afar. Many of the letters that we have in our Bibles, at least in the New Testament, are exactly this. It's, it's Paul writing to the churches that he helps start to encourage them, to correct them, and to keep a relationship with them even though he's not physically with them. And in a way, Paul kind of sees these different churches that he's planted as a network. They may be separated by distance, even by ethnicity, whether they're a Jewish church or a Gentile church or maybe a mix of the two. But together, they make up the big C church. I've made a circle. I should have made a C. Um, but Paul's goal was to see these churches encourage and support one another, even though they might not have had a very deep relationship. And during this time, one church in particular was really struggling. You see, famine had struck the Roman Empire under the rule of Claudius. And it significantly impacted the church in Jerusalem. They were struggling financially. They needed food. And so in response to this, Paul reached out to the Corinthian church because they were a little bit more affluent. They were a little more well-off. They had some money to give. And other churches that Paul was connected to also volunteered to pitch in and help support the church in Jerusalem. The Corinthians in particular, they said, yeah, we would love to support them. And so they made a commitment. They began to give. And at the start, things were going really well. They were sending donations to Jerusalem. They were helping them out. But as time went on, Paul realized that the Corinthians in particular were not upholding their original commitments to continue supporting the church in Jerusalem. So Paul, he writes to the Corinthians for a, a variety of reasons and issues. The Corinthians are an interesting church. But one of the minor issues that Paul is writing to this church is that they're not upholding their word. They're lacking integrity. They said they would give to the Jerusalem church, but they're not doing it. 
And he wants to help provide some correction on that and encouragement to, to hold their word true. And so I want to read 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 5 together. In a moment, we'll read a few others later. But let's read 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 5. It says this. We want you to know, brothers and sisters, about the grace of God that has been granted to the churches of Macedonia. For during a severe ordeal of affliction, their abundant joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For as I can testify, they they voluntarily gave according to their means and even beyond their means, begging us earnestly for the favor of partnering in this ministry to the saints and not as we expected. Instead, they gave of themselves first to the Lord and by the will of God to us. So Paul begins his argument, if you will, to the Corinthians by celebrating the Macedonian churches because they view this opportunity to support the Corinthians as a, as a privilege, as an honor. They were giving generously and joyfully, some even beyond their means. And what is maybe most astonishing about this is that the Macedonian churches, which is a collection of a few churches in that area, they themselves were also struggling financially. Their poverty was likely caused by persecution from some outside factors. There was some social ostracism, or essentially what that means is they were shunned by their city because of their faith. And so they also were struggling. And some scholars think that because of these factors, their poverty, it could have matched that of the church in Jerusalem. But despite their struggles, they were compelled to give, and they were doing so cheerfully. Paul, he didn't force the Macedonian churches to give. They chose to give even though they had little. So meanwhile, Paul finds himself pleading with the affluent Corinthian church to stay true to their word. Paul isn't talking about the Macedonian churches to create, you know, competition. If that were the case, the Corinthian church would easily win because they had the money. This isn't a situation of kids' church where you have an offering contest of if we can give the most and then one person gets pizza. Uh, The Corinthians, they don't need pizza. They can buy their own pizza. But if you read verses 6 through 7, Paul, he actually celebrates the Corinthians, even though he's trying to correct them. And he tells them that, hey, you are doing some things right. You're excelling in your faith. You're excelling in speech and knowledge and eagerness and love. Yet despite all these admirable qualities, he tells them you also need to excel in that of generosity. And it's clear that Paul wanted them to have more, there was, there was more spiritual maturation that they needed to have that comes through the grace of giving. You see, generosity is a mark of a life transformed by Jesus. When you practice generosity, it is a sign of God's grace working in and through you. Grace is an extension, or generosity is an extension of grace. And so Paul is raising this concern, not just because he wants to help the church in Jerusalem, yes, he does, but he also wants the Corinthians to realize that they aren't fully devoting themselves to Christ. There's some growing they have to do, because for Paul, generosity is a spiritual discipline right alongside prayer and scripture and worship and gathering together in community. And Paul explains this further in in verses 9 through 14. Let's read this. This one's longer, so bear with me, but it's all good. Paul says, For you know the generous act of our Lord Jesus Christ. And though he was rich, and I love this line, for your sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. 
And in this matter, I am giving my opinion. Now he kind of pokes him here. It is beneficial for you who began last year not only to do something, but even to desire to do something. Now, finish doing it, so that your eagerness may be matched by completing it according to your means. For if the eagerness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. For I do not mean that there should be relief for others and hardship for you, but it is a question of equality between your present abundance and their need. So their abundance may also supply your need in order that there might be equality. In this passage, Paul isn't holding any punches. He comes right out and says it. Christ made himself poor so that we may be made rich. And, when we, and we can honor Christ by doing that exact same thing for others. We give of ourselves, whether it's our time, our talent, or our finances, so that others may be made rich in Christ, that we can share of our wealth that we receive from Christ so that others may know it too. Yet at the same time, in that giving, we don't find ourselves lacking. We find continual and sustained wealth. Not necessarily financial blessing, per se, but something far more meaningful and worthwhile, which is the richness of knowing Christ more, experiencing him deeply, and furthering his kingdom. And that right there is why we are generous, because it's what Christ himself did for us, and we are to follow in his footsteps. And while that's heavy, Paul does provide some relief to the Corinthians. He, he's not asking the Corinthians to go into debt, to become overburdened or disadvantaged. This concept that Paul is encouraging the Corinthians to live out is actually a new mindset around generosity that we see specifically in the New Testament. It's introduced in the Old Testament, but it becomes fully realized in the New Testament. And it's the idea of giving in proportion to what they have. It isn't about giving a certain amount, but rather how much one keeps for themselves and how much they give to others. In other words, it's a matter of selflessness versus selfishness. Are we willing to partner with what God is doing in order to help somebody else? And in this instance for the Corinthians, that someone else isn't just a stranger, isn't just someone they don't know. It's their brothers and sisters in Christ. It's people just like them who are struggling, who are hurting, who need help. And by the Corinthians choosing to help Jerusalem, as Paul says, it also leaves the door open for the Jerusalem church to support them later if they ever have a need, whatever that might be. Yet the Corinthians, they lost sight of that. They became overly focused on themselves. and They lost focus on what the church is truly about, which is being a community of support for one another. And that's true for us today. We don't give to K-First or to a church to build a brand or to make the K-First staff look like celebrities. It's, not a, it's, it's, it's about caring for one another in community. Whether it's offering to help a friend rather than waiting for them to ask us to help them, whether it's contributing to the K-First food pantry, which we're wrapping up today, and you guys have done an amazing job supporting our food pantry through personal care item supplies. Uh, maybe it's giving beyond your tithe that was to do things in our church, like trainings. We have a training coming up in June for married couples that is possible because of you. Or even giving to a church plan in Pontiac, like we did last Sunday. And let me tell you, if you weren't here last Sunday first, we had a, we had a guest 
couple with us, and, and their names are Dustin and Colette McClellan. McClellan. They are pastors, and they are planning a church in Pontiac. And if you know anything about Pontiac, it's a, it's a rough place. It's, it's not the place you go to plan a church. Churches either, they don't really survive or thrive in Pontiac. Yet they uh, have a, a heart for Pontiac. They're from Pontiac, and they want to see God move in their community. And so after last Sunday's message, Pastor Dave encouraged us all to consider giving a love offering to support them, to help them get off on the right foot, to have what they need to start their church plant on the right path to make a difference in their community. And let me tell you, you guys went above and beyond in your giving. You guys gave sacrificially. I could stop preaching right now because you guys are doing it, or you guys did it last Sunday. Because to, last week together, we raised a total of $5,500 for the McClellans to plant a church in Pontiac. Yeah, give yourself a round of applause. That's an amazing thing. And Pastor Dave texted me this morning and he said, that was the biggest love offering I have seen in my tenure as lead pastor at K-First. Yeah, that's what we're clapping for. You guys are amazing. And so we want to thank you first and foremost for giving, for giving sacrificially, for caring for our brothers and sisters in Christ. Yeah, they're not K-first, but they're a part of our church family. They're our brothers and sisters. And so you guys are my illustration this morning. You guys gave sacrificially, and we're so thankful for that. But to jump back on the right path here, I want to give you two quick principles of sacrificial giving that come from this passage of Corinthians to kind of give us a takeaway this morning. And the first one, the first principle is this, is that God cares less about the gift and more about the giver. You know, we all have that one friend who just really struggles giving gifts. You know, they give you a gift and you're like, I don't know what this is, but thank you for it. Or maybe it's something that you don't really like or it's not really your thing. But despite those gifts that maybe aren't always the greatest, we appreciate them, right? Because we know their heart. It's about the giver, not necessarily the gift. And the same is true when we talk about sacrificial giving. It's not so much about the act of giving in the sense of how much or how often we give of ourselves, per se. What, what God truly cares about is the heart behind one's self-giving. It's about being obedient when we feel God when we feel compelled to give of our time or our abilities or our money, it's about learning to say yes when the Holy Spirit isn't speaking or impressing something on your heart. And let me be clear, sacrificial giving, it doesn't mean giving to everyone or everything because there are a lot of people in the world who are in need of help, who could use some money. There are a lot of people who are doing great things in the world that could use support. As a church, we encounter missionaries all the time who are itinerating. They're trying to get on the missions field. And we often find ourselves having to say no, not because they aren't doing good things, not because they're bad people, but for a couple of reasons. And one is just kind of practical. We only have so much money to give. But the second thing, and the, really the main thing, is we want to give to those whose mission and goals align closely with ours here at K-First. We want to support people that we say, yeah, we have the same mindset, the same direction, so that we can truly partner together in a way that is encouraging to both. And so we're picky with who we support as a church for a reason and with intentions so that we can give well to who we are supporting. And I think that's a mentality that we should also have for ourselves. We should give to what aligns with our values and our passions. We should be obedient to where God is speaking 
and we should buy into where we see God moving. But at the same time, we should choose wisely, steward our money, our time, and our energy well. Because as Paul tells the Corinthians, God doesn't necessarily require us to give beyond our means, but to be willing to give up some sense of comfort in order to help the other or to further God's kingdom in a particular context. Could there be a situation where maybe you feel inclined to give more that's above and beyond your means? There may be. That seems to be the case for the Macedonians. And if you find yourself with that conviction, well, that's something you're going to have to think through and pray through and um, figure that out. And as a church staff, I guess we're always willing to have those conversations to help guide you through things like that. But at the end of the day, God's expectation isn't necessarily an amount or how much. It's about your heart. It's being obedient. Are you giving cheerfully? Are you joyfully giving? Are you willing? Are you being obedient to whatever it might be that God says to do? And it reminds me of Mark 12, 41 through 44, which says, this is Jesus. He sat down opposite the treasury and watched the crowds putting money into the treasury. Many rich people put in large sums. A poor widow came and put in two small copper coins with her worth about a penny. Then he called the disciples over to him and said, Truly I tell you, the poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the treasury. For all of them have contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. In this passage of scripture, Jesus demonstrates that what he cares about is the giver, not the gift. The woman gave what was impressed upon her heart. It wasn't much compared to the others, but it was a greater sacrifice, and she gave without giving it a second thought. Jesus makes it very clear because of her heart behind her giving, what she gave was way more valuable than the rich who gave lavishly, but did so without much thought or intention behind it. So when you give, once again, whether it's your time, your skills, your money, pay attention to your attitude. Are you reluctant or are you willing? Do you see it as a burden or an opportunity to help someone or something in, that is in need? Is it an opportunity to pour into someone's life or something you're, you're not really comfortable doing? But most importantly, trust how the Holy Spirit is speaking and leading you. If, if, if hypothetically, let's just make up a fake scenario here. Next Sunday, you're here again, and Pastor Dave is back in the pulpit. He's preaching, and he's, you know, pacing around, sweating a little bit. That's what he does, and he's getting excited, and he says, Church! This Sunday, I want you all to consider donating money so that our church staff can have a soft serve ice cream machine. Because when we're diligently working during the week, we could really use some delicious dairy delights to refresh our palates. And by refreshing our palates, you are refreshing our soul so that we can further God's kingdom here in our church and in our community. And you're sitting in your seat, and you love Pastor Dave, you like K-First, you care about us as a staff, but you're just saying, you know what, I hear what he's saying, but just something in my spirit says that buying a soft-serve ice cream machine probably isn't the best use of my money in that way. If that's the case, trust whatever you feel in your heart, trust the Holy Spirit, don't buy us a soft-serve ice cream machine. Now, let me just be clear, Pastor Dave would never ask us to do that, okay? I'm not preparing anything for next Sunday. Uh, I should have had them play the keys, and you would definitely give to that. Uh, that always gets you to move. Um, 
But hear me out. We would never do that. When Pastor Dave asks you to give, there is always a lot of thought and prayer behind it. And it's our hope that when we do give opportunities to give, it's something that would be meaningful to us all, that we would all care about and get behind. But you get the point. Trust where the Spirit is leading. And trust where He's convicting you. Give generously and joyfully when He is. And when there isn't peace, trust that. Trust the Holy Spirit. Principle number two is that generosity is a mark of spiritual maturity. And this principle, it can be a little triggering because I know that there are pastors, there are churches, there are TV preachers who have guilted people into giving, saying that if you give, God will bless you. If you don't give, well, you just don't have faith. Let me be very clear. Anyone who uses the gospel, scripture, or Jesus to guilt, the key word is guilt, anyone into supporting someone or something financially is not a pastor. They're a con artist. Just going to say it straightforward, okay? That mentality says that once you give, then you get something back. Then you achieve something in return. And when I say generosity is a mark of spiritual maturity, what I mean is that the follower of Christ allows the message of Jesus to sink so deeply into their hearts and their minds that it transforms them into a person who is characterized by radical generosity and a willingness to share of their life and their resources to someone who is truly in need to help others. Christ-like giving is to give. It's what the word says. It's to give, not to get. And I know that goes against everything our world tells us. You know, our world tells us to give, to invest, so we get something in return. And that's wise in some contexts. But in, in regards to generosity, we're to give generously. And, and that's the paradox of the kingdom of God, is that we gain when we give of ourselves without expecting anything in return, simply to demonstrate God's love and to further his kingdom. And our reward in doing that isn't necessary to get something back, but we do. We experience Christ meaningfully, and we find joy in that and that alone. Because when I give to get something back, I find myself often just wanting more. But when I give out of, devo- out of a devotion to Christ, it leaves me feeling content. And I think of the passage of Scripture where the rich young ruler comes to Jesus and I'm going to give you a couple, a couple verses from Mark, uh, verses uh, 10, 17, and then 10, 21. And read 17 together real quick. It says, As he was setting out on a journey, Jesus, a man ran up, knelt before him, and asked him, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And to summarize the verses I'm cutting out here, Jesus looks at him and says, Well, number one, only God is good. And number two, he lists some of the Ten Commandments. He says, follow the Ten Commandments. Follow the commandments that we have taught you. And the rich young ruler looks at Jesus and he says, Jesus, I, I know the commandments. I have them memorized. I'm following them. And Jesus looks back at this young man and he says this. This is verse 21. Jesus looked at him, and this is really cool, loved him and said, you lack one thing. Go, sell what you own, give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. The point of this passage is not about money or us needing to necessarily sell everything that we have. The reason Jesus asks this man to sell what he had was to eliminate anything that would hinder his obedience 
to following Jesus. And for this particular person, his wealth stood in the way of his devotion. But if he had done what Jesus said, if he had sold his things, he would have found exactly what he was looking for. Eternal life. And when I say eternal life, I don't just mean life after death, although that is included. What I mean is meaningful and genuine life for today and right now. And that right there is why generosity is a mark of spiritual maturity. Because it means we are completely devoted to Him and what He wants to do in us and through us in order to further His kingdom around us. Generosity is tied to our kingdom identity, the imago Dei that's within us, the image of God. And we reflect the image of God and His kingdom by caring for those around us with our generosity as God does for us time and time again. And so with this framework, with this understanding, how do we begin to practice generosity? Well, unfortunately, I don't have anything too profound for you. It's pretty simple. If generosity is a mark of spiritual maturity, then it begins by growing in our relationship with Christ. Prioritizing time with Him through Scripture, prayer, practicing the spiritual disciplines. We can't embrace God's generous heart if we don't take time to actually know his heart, which comes through time spent with him. And secondly, it's just as as simple. It begins by practicing generosity. Give beyond your tithe to something you believe in every now and then. Volunteer your time and talent to someone else. Begin to develop habits of generosity. When I say habits, it could be anything from skipping a Starbucks drink and giving it to something you care about, or, you know, once a month going out of your way to helping someone. It can be anything, but we need to develop the habit so we can begin to have it become ingrained into our hearts and our minds so that we stick to it. Unless you're a guest with us this morning, my guess is you're here because you believe in the mission of K-First. Maybe you've been impacted by something that's happened here, or you see God moving in the, in the community and you believe in that. If that's true for you, then this might be a great place to begin to practice generosity. And hear me out. I don't just mean financially, although I do intend that as well, but to give of your time and your talent by joining a team. Volunteer your time to someone else who maybe is a part of your table or who you have a conversation with after service. This is a great place to begin to build those habits. And Emily, you can come. Um, being a follower of Christ means being a contributor, not a consumer, to whichever church community you call home. And so if you're a guest this morning and you have a different home church, well, this applies to you as well wherever you attend. This message isn't a K-first-specific message. It's a kingdom-specific message. This is the heart of Christ to be generous. In 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 8, Paul tells the Corinthian church why they should be generous when he writes this. Read it to you real quick. He says in verse 6, the point is this, the one who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and the one who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each of you must give as you've made up in your mind, not regretfully or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to provide you with every blessing in abundance so that by always having enough of everything, you may share abundantly in every good work. 
When we give sacrificially, God blesses us in ways that allows us to continue to give sacrificially. Our time, our talent, our money. And in that process of giving, it reminds us that we are continually sustained by God. He meets our every need. So when we give our time, we gain a deeper awareness of God's presence. When we give of our abilities, we grow in joy and meaning by doing what God has put on our hearts to do. When we give financially, we experience deep contentment in knowing that He sustains us every single second of our lives. We don't give to get, but we are inadvertently blessed when we align ourselves with God and His mission because it invites us into the paradox of the kingdom where only true joy and contentment can be found, where we can truly live life to the fullest, where we tangibly experience a love like no other, which is a sacrificial and generous love of Jesus Christ. Let's pray together this morning. God, there is no other way to wrap up this message than to say thank you. Thank you for how you gave generously to us all giving of your son, giving of your love, of your grace, how you sustain each and every one of us every single day. Help us to grow in our spiritual maturity, that we would be people who are generous, that we would be sensitive to your spirit, to your leading, wherever you may be speaking, wherever you may be leading. That K first, that our church family, that we would be known by our generosity that we would care for those in need, that we would care for one another, that we would make a difference in our church, in our family, in our city, because we are led by you. Help us to understand your love so strongly that we have no choice but to give generously. We thank you for who you are. You are a good God. In your name we pray. Amen.